What is up, Anthem? My name is Drew, and I'm on the team with Renaissance. We are a church of microchurches, and we are always trying to help people uh, really start smaller expressions of the church where they live, work, and play. We're also in the midst of starting a cafe co-working space in the heart of Waltham. So needless to say, neighboring and placemaking is like foundational for us. So I am so fired up that you're having this conversation about the art of neighboring. I actually love this book. I've been handing it out for years, and I think it is a great intro to this conversation on neighboring. And glad I get to be a part of the conversation you're having over these few weeks as well. I actually want to start our time out together by telling you a story of my neighboring. Actually, a pretty unique situation I landed in three years ago this month. I was actually in my neighbor's garage named Nick in a situation I never expected to be in. It was actually the day we were loading up our house uh, to move here to Boston, our moving truck. It was our last full day in the house. Uh, I, uh, we, we had already had our friends over. They had helped us empty our house. We'd had a pizza party. We were exhausted. If you've ever moved, you know what that's like. And right then, our good neighbors from across the street, Nick and Jill, came walking across they're a little bit older than us by about 20 years with some teenage daughters and just wanted to come and say goodbye. And so we spent like an hour in our driveway just uh, rehashing memories and talking about the future. And then even when our families went to bed, Nick and I ended up hanging out till like midnight in his garage. He was kind of a, a rough blue collar guy, not very emotional, uh, but I could tell he was sad and, and upset that we were leaving and he kind of showed it in his own way. He kind of had this amazing record collection over in the corner of his garage, biggest record collection I've ever seen. And he just started asking me as we were talking what my favorite artists were. And he just kept going through, filing through, and he just kept giving me these records. Many of them had never been played. Vintage uh, first edition records, a pretty amazing thing. I didn't have the heart to tell him that I didn't have a record player. And I wasn't sure that I actually had any room in my, uh, my moving truck either. Uh, but I could tell how important it was to him. And so that night at like midnight, I waddled across the street with an armful of records trying to stuff them in the back of this truck as we had said goodbye. And I had right at that moment as I walked across the street this moment of nostalgia that I couldn't believe that my relationship with Nick had gotten to this place because six years earlier, the day we had actually moved in, I met Nick. He came driving across the street in his John Deere lawnmower. He had a beer in his hand. He had two more beers in each cup holder, uh, having the time of his life, I guess, mowing. And he gave me, just filled me in on all the things that were going on in the neighborhood. And he started grilling me with questions. And everything was going good until he asked me what I did. And I had to tell him that I worked for a church. Uh, I'm pretty sure he dropped several expletives and then got really weird. Uh, our conversation ended and then he ended up driving back across the street. I didn't see him for weeks and weeks and weeks. And it was pretty amazing to me that I'd gone from that interaction to Nick like giving me part of himself, like some of the stuff that was such a, a prized possession. Like what had happened in that six years? Well, I, I don't have all the time to tell you all those sorts of things. But it was all these moments of micro neighborliness, all these moments of intentionality barbecues that we had thrown, nights in December nights that we'd gone house to house and given each of our neighbors Christmas gifts. I, I could go on and on and on. And full disclosure, like Nick and Jill never ended up coming to our church. Some of our other neighbors did. But they had gone from kind of having these preconceived notions about me, viewing me kind of through some stereotypical lenses, to coming to kind of trust uh, and want to befriend me. They, they actually knew that they didn't have to believe what my wife and I believed to be loved and to care for, be cared for and to be good neighbors with us. Now, I share that story not because I'm an expert on neighboring or to brag on myself. In fact, 
I'm not very good at neighboring and I have to work really hard at it. But I tell you it because we had to kind of overcome some pretty big barriers, some pretty big roadblocks so that we could actually get to know our neighbors. And I actually think there's some for you as well. You're not a minister, you're not working in a church, and I know you don't have to deal with some of the weird things and the weird interactions people have because of that, but I actually think there's some pretty big roadblocks, maybe just as big now because you're a Christian. When your neighbors find out that you go to a church that they're going to kind of maybe interact with you with. Like, I hear this from people that we coach all over greater Boston, that when their neighbors find out that they're a Christian, they get strange. They often actually pull away and they actually don't want to build a relationship. And this is actually statistically happening all over the country. Uh, Barna Group, uh, that's this Christian research group, over 15 years ago released a finding from some research that there was no group in American society any longer who viewed Christians favorably. Not a one. And I probably don't have to tell you that things have only gotten worse over the last 15 years. In fact, David Kinneman, who works for the Barna Group uh, and uh, has kind of helped with some of those studies, He's written extensively on some of the things that our neighbors view us as. They view us as too judgmental. They view us as too political. But one of the most like said things when people who are non-believers talk about Christians and talk about their Christian neighbors is that they say that we're convert-driven. In other words, that we have an agenda for them, that we kind of have some ulterior motives, that they can kind of almost sniff out how inauthentic we are in our interactions with them. Like, we're only befriending them so that we can hand them our church postcard and get them to our church. I call this the Ned Flanders syndrome. If you've ever watched The Simpsons, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Our neighbors kind of hear that we're Christians, and they can often view us as being these weird Bible-thumping evangelists. And so as you're being released to the art of neighboring, and as we're trying to inspire you to be great neighbors, I think it's important that we stop and have a conversation about our motives. In fact, I've just kind of titled this whole conversation that we're having, Motives Matter, which by the way, is a chapter in the book. Because I want us to stop and first kind of have a conversation about this. Because if we don't get this right, Everything else you've been talking about is going to actually not go very well. Uh, We've got to have the right motives. In fact, here's the big idea of everything that I'm going to say to you in our time together. It's just this. The end goal of neighboring is not conversion, but love. Let me say that again. The end goal of neighboring is not conversion, it's love. Now, I don't know what kind of emotions that, that, resp- you know, that statement gives you, whether you're kind of like uncomfortable with it or you're like, duh. But let, let me unpack this a little bit because there's actually multiple sides to this that you need to understand uh, and, and that you need to get. The end goal of our neighboring is not having an agenda. It's not just going so that we can convert people or hand them a postcard, whatever else. It's love. But it's first love that we learn. Number one, it's love that we learn. You see, often when we start talking about neighboring or we start talking about loving, we instantly think about what we're giving our neighbors or what we're doing for our neighbors. And we fail to realize that God's call for us to neighbor is first something he wants to do in us before it's something he wants to do through us. In fact, every time God calls for obedience, he's always wanting to do something in us first before he does something through us. In fact, I would go so far as to say that neighboring is the medium, one of the best mediums, not the only one, but one of the best mediums that God teaches us how to love. Let me kind of help you understand what I mean by that. This whole series is based out of Jesus' words in the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 22, in Mark 12, and Luke 10, when Jesus described what we call the greatest commandment. 
He took some words from the Old Testament and the Shema, and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the part we're, we're kind of focusing more on. And he says, in all, like all the law and the prophets are summarized in these two statements. The word for love uh, that is used there, uh, that Jesus uses, is the word agape in Greek. Now, you might have heard this before. We only in the English have one word for love. Uh, we, but the ancient Greek, they had four words for love. In fact, C.S. Lewis has written a pretty famous book called The Four Loves, where he talks about these four different words. They all describe different components of love. But agape love, C.S. Lewis says, is the hardest for us to understand and to know because it is an unconditional love. It is a love of commitment. It is a love of steadfastness. He says that's the hardest one for us to get. In fact, it's a love that comes from God. 1 John 4 tells us that God is love. That word there, when we're told God is love, is the word for agape. You see, God doesn't just have some warm feelings for us or some nice sentiments for us. God is a God who unconditionally loves us. He draws near to us. He commits to us. He's faithful to us. And it's out of that what we, that we experience intimacy and love in our own life. That's the story of scripture, right? Over and over again, God makes covenants with his people. He makes commitments to his people. He draws near to them. And even when they, and even when we, don't actually uh, show our own faithfulness, when we uh, actually fall short of what he calls us to, God continues to draw near and to be faithful. This is obviously made most known in the personal work of Jesus Christ. God took on human flesh. He became one of us. He drew near to our pain and our suffering and our sin. And he ultimately would take those things on himself and do something about it just as he promised he would. He gives us the ultimate example of agape love. By the way, that's the love that we're being called to. The Apostle Paul describes for us what that looks like in our lives, this this. Uh, God-like unconditional love in 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the great love chapter where he says, love is patient, it's kind. Uh, It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it keeps no record of wrongs. Friends, I don't know about you, I'm not good at any of those things. I'm not good at doing that with my relationship with God. I'm not good uh, with my spouse. I'm not good with anyone. And that's why God calls us to actually have interpersonal relationships to learn love. Yes, we learn it in our families, we learn it in our faith communities, but we also learn it in our neighborhoods. God's call for us to love our neighborhood is for us to embody our faith, to have faith with skin on. He wants to geolocate our faith with those who are in proximity with us so that we can begin to learn these things because they don't come naturally to us. We actually have to practice them to get them right. In fact, I love 1 John 4 actually describes this for us. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson actually translates it uh, in his uh, paraphrase, uh, the message. It says in verses 20 and 21, if anyone boasts that I love God and goes right on hating his brother or sister, thinking nothing of it, I would say goes on ignoring their neighbor and thinking nothing of it, he's a liar. Listen to this line. If he won't love the person he can see, how can he love the God that he can't see? How can we love, like if if we won't love the neighbors we can see, how can we love the God that we can't see? The command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes loving people. You've got to love both. 
That's what John tells us. You see, love is not something that we can learn about in a sermon. It's not something that we can learn about just from reading the Bible. It's not something that we can learn in a classroom. It's something we have to go and practice. And God is calling you first and foremost to go draw near to your neighbors and to get to know them and and care for them and to serve them unconditionally because in that, he's going to teach you how to love. Because your neighbors, guess what? They're going to believe different things in you. They're going to care about different things in you. They're going to annoy you. They're going to frustrate you. They're going to have habits that you find weird. And it's in drawing near to them and getting to know them and serve them and love them unconditionally that you're going to learn how to love this agape love. And honestly, you're going to learn more about our Heavenly Father's love for you. Every time you fall short in that, it's going to become even more clear how amazing our Heavenly Father's grace is for us. Friends, I can speak of my own life. When I take inventory every week of drawing near to my neighbors, they're like a mirror into my heart. Like, man, it, it showcases my selfishness of my time, the greed of my resources, how judgmental I can be, how lack of empathy and compassion I often live with. They're a mirror to me how I often fall short of love. I need them so that I can learn love. You see, when we understand this, we're going to go like actually care for our neighbors in love in humility, not thinking we have all the answers, but rather realizing that God actually wants to work through our neighbors to teach us that it's holy ground, that every time we go spend time with them, God is actually going to teach us something. We're going to go with humility and curiosity, like, man, where is God going to teach me something today? How's he going to use me? It's almost like a spiritual discipline, the same way when we read scripture or we pray. God is going to teach us how to love. So first and foremost, we, we make sure to have the right motives. The end goal of neighboring is not conversion, it's love. And it's number one, love that we learn. It's first something God wants to do in us. But number two, it's then love that we give. It's love that we pass on. Now again, this is not having an agenda. We don't go give love just because Anthem told us to or because the Art of Neighboring book told me to or because uh, I read it in a Bible verse or so that I can check off my religious duty. I'm not going it so that I can eventually shove an Anthem postcard in their mailbox and invite them to the next event. No, I'm doing this because I want to actually love them unconditionally in the way I've experienced love. If, you, if you're somewhere, I, I would encourage you to write this. Friends, your neighbor is not a project. They are the object of God's love. Let me say that again. Your neighbor is not a project. They are the object of God's love. He is drawing, trying to draw near to them the same way he is drawn near to you. And he wants to use you as imperfectly as you will do it to showcase that unconditional love. You might be asking, well, what, what does that look like? Well, again, we've already talked about this agape love that God lived for us. He demonstrated for us. We're trying to do that same thing. We're going to commit our time, our talent, our resources to our neighbors so that we can do life with them, so that we can care for what they care for, so that we can be shoulder to shoulder with them with what's going on in their lives. The highs and the lows, the pain and the joys, the barbecues and the trips to the hospital. All of it, we're going to draw near and care for those things and love them in the midst of of it. Uh, and hopefully, in doing so, we're also going to bring and help them find completion. The more that we earn a right to be heard, the more that we uh, invest, the more that we have street cred, the more compounded interest of us committing to our neighbors, that we, when we see that there's brokenness or pain or in some way their lives lack kind of what they're 
they're supposed to be, we try to fix those things and we try to bring healing. I love the great author Fyodor Dostoevsky once said that to love someone is to see them the way God intended them intended for them to be. That's what we're going to do when we go and love in our neighbors. We're looking and we're saying, where, where, where is their lives not whole? Where is it not as God intended to be? How do I love and serve them to bring that about? Now, hopefully, like if we do earn that street cred, we, we might earn a right to be heard. If we've, we might be able to share the hope that we have and we pray that the Spirit would move. But even if that never happens, and even if they never come to our church, and even if they never come to believe what we, we believe, we're still going to love them unconditionally because, again, they're the object of God's love. We're going to continue to serve them and try to bring wholeness to them and to our neighborhood. We're going to love them and help bring what they lack We've had a recent amazing example of this in, our, uh, in one of our cohorts. We've been training a couple for, for several months, three, four months, have been drawing close and making their neighbors a priority. Uh, the husband in particular has been going across the street and like investing more and more time in this husband of this couple across the street. And he told us in one of our recent cohort calls that uh, just that last week, he had walked across the street thinking he was going to have another 15, 20-minute casual conversation. And because of all the time that he'd poured in, uh, this husband just started verbally unloading on him everything that his, him and his family were going through. And it was a lot. And it was messy. And as he got to the end of 25 or 30 minutes of hearing all of this, based off of what we're talking about and kind of this Holy Spirit moment, he looked at his neighbor and he said, I want you to know you are not going through this alone. We are going to be across the street in anything you need. We are going to be there for you no matter what. Friends, that's agape love. Now, I, I know this probably sounds graduate level. You're writing, try, trying to figure out how to write like eight names and, and learn some names and just like, and, and try to say hello and do some things. But again, this is the end goal. And we want you to kind of understand that the goal is more than just learning some names. The goal is more uh, than, than uh, just saying some hellos or having some cheap uh, goodbyes. We want you to use those things so that you can actually get to know and love and serve them. In fact, we teach at Renaissance kind of a rule of life and tell people to commit more of their time in their neighborhood so this can happen. Like, how could you maybe bless three neighbors every single week? Uh, just do one small thing to just tell them that you love them and care for them. How could you give an up three of your 21 meals a week, eat with three different neighbors, maybe even eat in the front yard, do some things, and then every week actually take an inventory, have a journal, and say, uh, to whom have I been sent? What are the names of those people around me? Just as you're writing on that, that piece of paper. And was I faithful in joining God in loving them this week? Give yourself kind of a score and continue to do that. It's going to be the compounded interest of intentionality that's going to allow you to, to pass on this agape love for you to get to that graduate level stuff and go from writing those eight names down to the good stuff, to the deep stuff, to plowing deep. Friends, we have to check our motives. The end goal of, uh, of neighboring is not just conversion. It's love. It's love we first learn, and then it's love we give. Let me kind of wrap it up to kind of help you understand everything I'm getting with this illustration. One of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of Preston Podeau. He uh, writes a lot about, about neighboring, but he's also a beekeeper. And he gives this great story of the very first summer he was a beekeeper. His neighbor came rushing over to him. Uh, the, his bees were on all over his neighbor's tree. And so he went over and he was scared. He was like, this is my first summer with bees. I don't know what my bees are doing. 
And so he said, well, let me go do some research. And when he did some research, he found out that his neighbor, uh, neighbor's tree was actually an apple tree. It wasn't bearing any apples. So he went back over to his neighbor and he said, hey, uh, I've got good news for you. I actually think my bees on your tree is going to be a good thing. He said now it's several years later, his neighbor has more apples than he knows what to do with. Uh, it's bearing all these apples. And, and he says, isn't this a perfect example of kind of the mutuality of Christian neighboring? when we get it right with what we get with Jesus. Those bees need that tree. They need the pollen. They need the nectar for their hive to survive, uh, for them to be healthy. But that tree also needed them to come and pollinate their tr that tree so that it could be healthy and vibrant and bearing fruit. Isn't that true for us as well? We need our neighbors so that we can learn to love, so that God can do something in us uh, in the classroom of love, so to speak. And hopefully, by us learning to love that way and passing on this agape love, our neighbors are going to be healthier and more whole and are going to be living the life God intended for them from the very beginning. Anthem, that is my prayer for you. Again, it's more than these eight, these eight names you're going to be writing down, that you would use that to launch you into a brand new lifestyle and way of living and that you and loving your neighbor would learn to be more like Jesus, that you would look more like Jesus, and that you, by loving your neighbor, would make your neighborhood look more like heaven than earth. Good luck, friends, and I hope, I hope God uses you to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine.